everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Health Sciences, a podcast dedicated to bringing you interesting conversations with key opinion leaders around topical issues in health professions education and practice globally. I am your host, Dr. Diane van Staden. Today, we are privileged to chat to a very inspiring guest, Werner Furi, an optometrist, entrepreneur, trailblazer, and visionary. This interview is actually the first in a segment we've entitled Be Inspired, where we will be featuring inspiring stories from eye health practitioners doing phenomenal things globally. So we've aptly named today's episode Out of the Box Optometry, and I would like to officially welcome my guest, Mr. Werner Furi, to our podcast today. Uh, Werner, welcome, welcome, and thank you very much for taking the time to um, speak to us on our podcast today. Thank you very much. It's a, it's the first time I've done a podcast. Um, I've listened to a few, but I've never actually been on one. So it's a, a great privilege. Um, and hopefully we can add some value to your listeners. Uh, fantastic. I'm sure you can. Um, and just a little disclaimer, I was actually Werner's lecturer, I think, probably when he was in third year optometry at the University of the Three States. So yeah. um, our association goes a while back and, and I've watched his journey from a distance. And I personally have been inspired by the um, interesting and unconventional things he's tackled in optometry practice. And that's what we hope to highlight today uh, in Werner's story. So Werner, over to you. I'll give you an opportunity to introduce yourselves to our listeners, please. Thank you. Um, yeah, so just a bit of history. As, as you mentioned, um, studied in um, Bloemfontein, University of Free State. Um, that was, uh, I was schooled in George at Otenico and then decided to do optometry through a house friend that said, you know, it looks like a nice, a nice medical industry, but you don't have to cut and work with blood most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I never actually had a dream of becoming an optometrist. It just... Um, Going through all the options, um, I wanted to do architecture or engineering, um, and optometry just seemed nice. And I looked into it, and at the end of the day, actually, um, didn't didn't qualify to study optometry because I never had biology at school. Um, so I needed to do a full year BSc first, um, and then did optometry. And I think, as a lot of optometry students or optometrists can 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 vouch for, your third year. It's probably the worst. And, and at that stage, I was like, yeah, why did I do this? Why did I study optometry? Because, you know, eight exams in a week. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it, was, it, it was difficult. And I never really enjoyed um, reading much. I'm more of a visual person. Yes. But that said, you know, I made it and then moved back to George, opened my first practice and always had a passion for and it could have been from the free state because i know um we did a lot of outreaches a lot of community work yes so uh, i always say bloemfontein students are they think on their feet because we were thrown in the deep end a lot yes um, so i enjoyed giving back so i always had my practice i had a practice there for a few years and but i always tried to do do a little bit extra to help people because in south africa you know there's huge numbers that can't afford glasses not even absolutely you know some of these even the packages are what most people don't even earn in a month um yes uh, we did a bit of charity work and at one stage we flew down 10 optometry students from from free state with pro frosting on it 
um, and we did an outreach and helped a few people. And, and a lot of time people asked me, where did this, the vision box idea start? And I think back and I said, it, it was probably that that time, about two years now, probably 10 years ago. Wow. Um, where one of the patients, when we, so we, we tested a lot of people and I think we dispensed about 250 pairs of glasses. And one of the patients, while I was fitting us, you know, just generally chatting to her, asked her, so what do you look at? What, what are you excited about the most? You're getting glasses now for the first time in many mm -hmm. years. She had a very simple answer. And I always tell this to people, she just said, I can read my Bible now. Wow. Um, and I asked her, but what did you do before, you know, the glasses? Because it's a normal press vote. And she said, no, she just couldn't read a Bible for the last 10, 15, 20 sure. years because she, she was quite old. And then I just realized, you know, read, just for example, readers are 15 rand or 20 Absolutely. rand. And the it impact cost. on her quality of life and her being able to engage in what she wanted to do for that minimal cost, what to you and I as a minuscule cost has such a significant impact on someone who cannot afford it. So was the vision box concept your first out of the box concept? Um, and I mean, that, that was just, it blew my mind away when I saw that. I thought, this is being real. This is responding to the need in the country. This is taking optometry to where the people need it. Um, yes. Would you say that was the starting point when you chose to do optometry differently? Because when I look at your journey and some of the things you've done, that is exactly what stands out for me, is that you've always thought outside of the box, which is why we've aptly named the, the, this talk that you've always done optometry differently. You haven't confined yourself to the mold of how um, the profession has practiced historically. So was Vision Box the birth of that sort of unconventional part, if I may call it that? Uh, so, so maybe let me explain a little bit differently is um, we, uh, when I open practices, I always try to do it differently. So I, I would say, you know, when I, when I looked at the industry, it was always set in a certain mold, very traditional, you know, we yes. charge the rates that comes out in that little book and yes. what the medical age we pay in. You, if you have a medical aid, you pay that. If you don't, you pay a different price. And it, it's an old, it's a very old Model. Way, of doing, you know, way of doing business. And, and with our practices, we've always, always tried to do it a little bit differently. But it was never disruptive. It was just different. So you, you, I always love, you see a lot of these new practices that pop up that say they're innovative. And then mm -hmm. we're like, no, you're just, you're just cheaper. <laughs> or you've got a cool brand but you're not right right absolutely you're changing a bit but you're not disrupting or, or, or innovating so so to answer your question the practices that we've had in private sector was just a bit different but i, I never disrupted everything it was just nicer branding or nicer frames or private labeling frames the concept but was different but yeah not just the same more or less in the same mold um but then once one day someone asked me why can we not do something sustainable in townships or sustainable in, in areas of need? Wow. And then I just vented, yeah, you know, it's that is the problem. I've done a lot of charity work. I've worked, I worked for a different charity where we've 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 tested 10,000 kids in a year. And and I've realized it's it it needs to be sustainable, otherwise it's just gonna be hit and run. Um, mm. And 
you know, you, you know what I'm saying? It's just you, Absolutely. You go and help and it's a feel-good project and, you you know, you saw 10,000 people, but, but yeah, what happens after that? Where do they get their eye care? That's, that's like giving people food for a month and then just stopping it. It's, it's right. almost worse. Um, and then and then we then I started thinking like there's definitely a need that that everyone knows we all know there's a need especially in our country yes um, if half of the population doesn't even in a thousand rand so then I, then I started talking to to people and asking questions and then I told the guy listen the only way is to make it vertically integrated um, reduce the cost easy to set up it needs to be safe and you need to empower the people within right. the area. Um, and then, yeah, and then I just thought about very, very innovative in, um, ways to to be able to run a for-profit practice, but with a social good outlook, right. so that the profit it made is minimal, but it pays for the optometrist a good salary, and it mm -hmm. pays for a practice, and it keeps the lights on. Right. Um, and and then obviously the need would be to scale that into many practices and yes. have a head office. So then we then we built it as a social franchise. So mm -hmm. you've got a head office, you have your practices with within township. So the idea with having a practice within a township is that even transport cost is is not easy for everyone. Right. So if you're in a mall, you know you're nice in a nice little strip mall. You're paying a lot of rent. You've got extra staff, and the people need to travel. So the glasses needs to be expensive. Yes. More price to to cover um, those costs. Absolutely. 100%. So, so we try to cut the fat off, off a private practice as physically as far as possible, but mm. not making it a chat. Um, and then kitting out recycled containers um, and, and placing them in townships. And the main reason is safety. In secondary, you can move it if it doesn't work. So you're not, right. you're not having a high investment. Um, and so that's how it started. We we built a model importing our own private label frames, um, later having possibly having our own equipment, mm -hmm. employing people from the area, um, and and just keeping the prices, I always say fair, just just making enough profit to pay the salaries. It's it's a social business. Right. Um, that's exciting. It's super exciting. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And how has the concept been received by communities and, and by optometrists who, whom you've approached to be part of this in townships? It's, it's actually amazing. We, we made a few assumptions um, before we started. And, and as you can imagine, those assumptions, some of them were definitely wrong. Yes. Um, we, we had a bit of a culture shock regarding the area we opened in first because you've got different backgrounds and cultures. Um, the education level on eye care was very different. We didn't expect that. Um, so some of the community members, they were like, oh, no, I come for eye tests. I need glasses. Okay, I'll, I'll take the glasses. And then we realized some others, they come in and they, they see it as a weakness in their culture. So mm. they don't want the glasses, you know, the glasses. The yes. Glasses. Like, no, but it's a sign that I'm weak. Almost like a stigma. Uh, oh yes, I actually had a lady phoning me that that was kicked out of the township, and they they mentioned to me that they're going to kill her because she has a weakness in her eyes, oh and uh, I tested her eyes in a different practice because she was scared to go back, and she was a press boat. 
That, that is unbelievable. I mean, I'm, I'm in optometry for so many years and it's the first time I hear of that kind of sort of social, man. cultural uh, aversion to spectacles. 100%. So, and, and I asked her about it and she, and she actually said, no, they, they take you into a, um, a, a shack or a house and they, um, they, I think they treat her to get this demon out of her. Oh, and my God. They take out of steps. And I was like, but it's just reading glasses. You know, it's, it was a press book. Oh, gosh, that we've got so was, much work to do. That, that was one thing. Another thing is a lot of people mentioned to us about eye care education. I, I, I think being, being an optometrist and having gone through university and working in areas that people maybe know of eye care, we don't actually know how many people just have no idea what difference glasses can make. Mm. Um, and then, and then just the stories and just the amount I had literally last week I walked in, uh, I went to show some people um, the vision box and there was a patient that walked out and I just looked at her file. She's, she's 25 years old, minus six first pair of glasses ever. Oh my and, goodness. And I started, I literally got tears. I'm like, how's that fair in as optometrists in our country, I think we're failing. I, I literally think we're failing. How did that girl, because she dropped out of through school, almost she, half of her life and yes, never had an eye test. Yeah, and sure. it's cost-wise, you know, you know the cost of course. It's cost-wise, we could have assisted her. We should Absolutely. have assisted her. Um, in that 25 years. And I think that's that's where the amazing opportunity with vision boxes is the hybrid model. So you've got the hybrid model of one side being a foundation. So we've got a registered charity that, that helps mm -hmm. if they can't pay. And then we've got the for-profit, which is almost nothing for losses. And the combination of the two in alignment with, with the idea of NHI going forward is right. to sort of supplement the government or supplement public sector, just to help right. the guys out. Mm. It's fantastic, Bernard. I have to commend you for that. I mean, I'm actually being challenged by what I'm hearing you, you know, speak about as much as I've been in public health optometry for uh, so many years mm. in South Africa and in other parts of the world. I mean, you're telling me things that are news to me, you know, about the, the scale of the problem, not just on a practical level in terms of people accessing vision care and accessing mm. glasses, but the many other factors that we have not even touched the surface with in terms of remo removing the barriers to accessing eye care, whether those are perceptions, you know, um, social barriers, we have so much work to do. I agree with you in South Africa and, and in many, many other parts of the world as well, you know, yes. face similar challenges in scaling up uh, access to eye care. And so I commend mm. you for, for going into uncharted territory and, and really just challenging that conventional model of doing optometry. Um, what are some of the other flagship projects that you've uh, embarked on uh, in optometry in recent years? Um, more, more related to vision box or just in, in general? Just in general related to optometry because I know you've done several innovative things um, so whether it's related to vision box or you want to share some of the other ideas about how you're doing optometry differently. Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear those. Uh, it's, it's, it's always fun. We always, um, 
trying different things. I, I love I love business and I love eye care. So I think the combination was just a blessing that I studied optometry. Right. Um, so that we've opened, I think, Vision Box, a second Vision Box now has got about 10th practice that we've opened in 10 years. So obviously wow. I've got a bit of a chronic issue of opening practices. <laughs> um, so, so that is a bit of a concern. But so what I've, what I've done with my, my private practice, Brill Optometrist, oh, is we've yes. tried to set up, I love independence, um, but in the past I've seen there's a big, big, big um, challenge for independence versus the groups. Yes. Um, so what we've done now is we've also now moved, joined the, the forces of the groups, but trying to do it from an independent viewpoint. Right. Um, so we've also now as a franchise and we're importing our own frames, manufacturing, and also manufacturing frames. Um, but, but as I said in the beginning, I think our brand and branding is very different, but mm -hmm. I can't say that we've innovated we've we've gone online so we, what is nice we do a lot of online sales um and one thing that's nice but i, I know there's some of the other groups that do it is we we offer home trials now with COVID, where yes. a patient can choose choose frames and we ship it to the house they try it on and they ship it and we ship it back we collect it and send it back um the only way we could obviously do that is because we own our own eyewear range uh, otherwise you know you don't want to send a prada Right. The <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's the main project we're on is we're scaling our, our current model. We've got four practices now. Excellent. Um, and then the vision box is very exciting. I think that is um, this hybrid model. Yes. What I love about Brill as well um, is that you've positioned it as a lifestyle brand. Uh, it's mm. not just about having your eyes tested and um, you know, purchasing a pair of spectacles, but you drawing the patients into a, a sense of belonging, a sense of identity with the brand, um, you know, and how they integrate that into their daily lives with, with the associate, the look and feel of your practice, um, the motivational books that you've got associated with the brand. It's, it's just fantastic how you've been able to merge those creative aspects into the patient experience with the Bro brand. Um, and, and that's really doing optometry differently. From, from what I've seen, you know, yours just stands out as an exceptional model um, of building a lifestyle brand in optometry. Uh, do you have anything to add to that? Was, how, no, how did I that come about? That, that, it's always easier if someone else talks, talks <laughs> about you. Because, um, that's one thing I don't like. We, we, I, I, like even this conversation is always difficult because it sounds like you're blowing your own horn. But I hear what you're saying. And, and I think I've actually started also started um, consulting other practices, just assisting them with the business side. And, and I think the reason we're doing well is, is one thing I did when I was younger is I, I said, let me forget about this traditional mold of optometry and let's see mm -hmm. what we can do. So, you know, is it illegal to offer someone a glass of wine if they're in the practice? You know, right. If you study optometry, most people will say, no, you can't do that. But <laughs> it's <not>? unprofessional. <laughs> no, but, but, but why well, not? Yes. Wine, so why not? Or, so for example, me and my wife, we listen to, to house music and we said, why can I not play house music in the practice? So, traditionally, it's, no, it should be on That's at a <laughs> yeah, it's on one radio station or with some, some classical auntie's. music. Yes, 
<laughs> yeah, so, so every, every single aspect mm. in our practice will literally change. So I don't put my frames on lockable rods because that's you, you're telling patients don't touch the stuff that I want you to buy. Mm. Um, we we music that that inspires us. Then we will we will get patients that are like us. Right. Um, we, you know, all those elements, all those small elements, we literally just change it. So, for example, we don't have job trays. You know, all these practices have yes. these plastic job trays. Blue and green and yeah. yeah. Uh, looks like a lab. You know, it's, you, you pay 10,000 rand for your glasses and someone puts it down in that plastic tray in front of them. Like, you don't yeah. see that in other places. One thing I challenge, challenge optometrists is... Um, is just think differently. You know, you say, mm. I don't think out of the box. Just don't do it the way you've been taught. You know, just mm. question everything. Um, I, 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 yeah. And that's why I love what you do, Bernard, and why I wanted to showcase you on this, uh, you know, the segment is because my philosophy in life is exactly the same. It's not to, just to sort of blindly adopt what's been done, but to question if there, there are other ways, more innovative, creative, exciting, productive, whatever the, the benefit could possibly be, but other ways of doing things and look at the pros and cons and, as you say, the possible restrictions around it, but try something different because the world is looking for different. The world is tired of the same old, same old. And we need to also be responsive to the changes in society as healthcare practitioners. We can't uh, continue to drag along sort of a 20, 30-year-old model of doing things into the fourth industrial revolution, into, you know, a futuristic way of being into an Uh online space. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's that one saying is what got us here will not get us there. Right. Um, and I think that's true. So, so just to go back to what I said about the independence, I think the public sector, which you've got great experience in, and then mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the independence, those two areas, it feels like we slow at responding to the market's needs mm-hmm. where the are quick, you know, they've got big budgets. They, they trend setting, they're moving quickly, but they, 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 they're not as nimble as independence and they're not reaching the public as, as we could. And I think those two industries need leaders where we can say, listen, we need to sit together and, and not complain or not just stick with this old model, but actually sit together and, and be creative and change it. Yes. So the one I give you ideas, like with the vision box model, I, I know a lot of independence and they all want to assist, especially when NHI came out. They're like, oh, oh wow, now we need to change. We need a DDAS. Yeah, and we need to change, but now they're all frightened. But I'm like, but we've got, a, we've got an obligation. We need to assist them. And so one of the models we're working on is to actually bring vision box within shop in shop. So offer it to independent practices that may say, listen, I, I'm not going to open in a township, or in a, in a, but I, I've got the capability to help people once a month. And, you know, maybe use the model of vision box where we've got cheaper right. So that everyone can... You know, there's a, there's maybe a, a a person in your area that needs help, and, and once a month as independence we can do it. I, I don't know. Okay. If you, sorry, I'm I'm so passionate about. It, I'm talking a lot, but I don't know if you, if you read on the website something, but I did a bit of research just when we started Vision Box to see if it's viable. And and at that I'm not saying a few years ago, but there was three and a half more or less three and a half thousand, um, I think, independence and two hundred and eighty optometrists in the public sector 
and and that's like an 8% ratio trying to assist 80% of the population. Correct, correct, absolutely. And I've written about that, I mean, in my own research writing, uh, continually challenge that. Uh, recently, we actually published an uh, editorial in the South African Medical Journal also challenging the health system, mm. you know, to address that imbalance. We, else we'll never meet our, our IQ goals in this country if we oh, don't sure. make public IQ services more accessible to the people who need them. So oh. as, as a public health optometrist, I hear you. And it's certainly a baton I've been carrying for a while. Um, and we'll continue to do so, you know, highlighting this problem, you know, working with stakeholders to try and find solutions to addressing it. Um, and, and I think I'm, 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 I've been doing this only for two years, the, the new model. But I think if you look at other industries, you know, we, energy, water, anything, as you, in other countries and even our country, you can't leave all the responsibility to government. Absolutely. Know, the, private sector needs to jump in and say, we all know this is an issue. Um, we all know the government is trying, hopefully trying their best, but yeah. but we have to also sit and say, so what I did with visual What can we do? What's yeah, what's the problem? The optom firstly, optometrists, most of them don't want to work in a rural area mm -hmm. because you can get a nice, nice salary working in Sandton City. Um, mm. so talk about that and then secondly is safety people are a little bit scared you know in Bukwini where the practice is they had taxi one people were, were killed it's a concern you know right. we need to so if you open practices it needs to be safe if mm. you if you they need to be paid well even better um and then have a business model where where the profit goes back into the business it's it's actually not that complicated but you know if you just work off of government funding or you just work, work off um, charity funding, you're always limited and always waiting for funds. Um, and then the people that suffer is a 25-year-old with a minus six. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you, you know, it's so, it's so important that you flag these things based on your, your experience on the ground, um, taking, you know, IK to communities who've been underserviced or unserviced historically. And, and I think the lessons that you're learning and are sharing through this podcast hopefully will challenge uh, some optometrists out there to also, you know, think of ways that we can close the gap. Because it, it also can't be up to a few people like yourself to start, you know, finding innovative ways to address it. I think the challenge is put out to all optometrists and IQ professionals in the country. Um, so, Bertrand, as we, as we sort of draw to a close in this uh, podcast, how do you see the future of optometry or eye care uh, in general in South Africa transforming over the next five years? It's a, that's a great question. Um, it, 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 it depends on which market you look at. So, so in our case, we've got our Brill practice, which is it's not an expensive brand, it's, it's, but it's, a, it's an inspirational brand. So we, mm -hmm. we've got amazing friends amazing locations we've got good staff you know it's a little bit more pricey and that that five-year plan looks different because we we're servicing a client that wants fabulous eyewear and, and right. stuff like that but i think if you look at optometry as an industry in our country um and i don't know if it's this is the perfect model but but doing some homework some research looking at vision box i think we need to move into a hybrid model um mm -hmm. where you've got 80 percent or 90% of your practice, and I'm talking about all the practices or most practices, 
set up for profit, you know, mm-hmm. your normal business as usual. Right. And then a 10% or 20% hybrid model where you either have access to funding from, from funders or you have a package option where I know most practices have package options, but it's, to be honest with you, it's quite terrible. You know, the, the frames break with, in the draw. Absolutely. Uh, which uh, with Vision Box, we've got stunning frames. We've got the same type of frames a lot of these new groups have, and it's a good quality frame. So mm-hmm. I think a hybrid model going forward, we've, the, the thing is we've got enough optometrists. We don't have a problem with with optometry in South Africa. In yes. other countries, they don't have optometry. We've got enough optometrists. We are not serving all the people. That's the yes. problem. It's the maldistribution um, problem. We need to, yeah. yeah. Make sure we, open, we spread our time. Yeah, you know, and some of our, the practices need to be open to assisting, you know, people that can't pay. Um, or, or you know, it, I think the NHI opened a lot of people's eyes to say, listen, I've got a practice, but I'm going to have to be open to testing more people that 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 are know, not part not of your gonna, traditional, yeah, traditional hmm. patient base. I don't know the other way. I think we need to sit around the table with influencers and say, what is the way forward? But I think the old way is not, not helping. Mm-hmm. I, I see there's a new surge of, of cheap practices. I, I'm sorry, it's probably not the right word. Uh, more affordable practices, but it's all based on high volume. Um, and that's not sustainable. You, know, you need right. to have... You can't be in a mall and not make money. If you're in a mall, you need to make money. But I think you need to either be open to a hybrid model Order. I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot now, but there's there's one more thing I was working on is to say a lot of practices in towns have their main independent practice. Um, Yanni, Yanni's practice or whatever it's been for 20 years, mm-hmm. but they do have a, a heart for the community and there is a possibility of opening a branch within a community in their town. Right. And I think another hybrid model is to maybe motivate owners to open a second branch practice where they test once a week and that practice gets runs as a community practice it's good right. because they know how to run they've got the funds they've got the staff they've got the know-how they've got experience and all we're asking is you know open open a branch at a low cost run it once a month or once a week and within that practice you still make a high gp it's just at a different pricing point right no, that's fantastic, Bernard. No, you're not talking a lot. You're sharing your insights based on your experience. And I think Still that's... Like, um, <laughs> well, obviously, I'm passionate, passionate about it. Absolutely. I hear your heart completely. But that's exactly why we wanted to talk to you, is to, is to hear that passion and, and, and hear your lived experiences and share that with others who may be starting to question if if this is the future for them, you know, or how can they do things differently and perhaps share some of those insights. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for sharing part of your journey with us, your experience in optometry over the past uh, 10 plus years and doing optometry differently. And I know certainly it's challenged me and it will challenge the listeners um, to find creative ways around addressing the unmet eye care needs, but also just responding to societal change as optometry as a profession also evolves globally. Uh, so thank, thank you very much, Bertrand. I don't know if you have any final words uh, for the listeners. I think, I think we need to be 
more open. So, so one thing I've picked up is independents tend to be very um, secretive about their practices. But, um, and I think we need to change that. I think, you know, if any of your listeners wants to reach out to me and ask me anything, I'm, I'm open. I'm, we can, it's a, it's a collective effort changing optometry. Mm-hmm. It's not something one, one by one. So I'm open. You can, you're more than happy to share my details with anyone um, if they want to chat. Thank you so much, Baron. I really appreciate that. I know how busy you are with the many projects you're juggling and your, your businesses. I'd like to wish you well as you continue to sort of chart forward into new territory with opening vision boxes in other communities, as well as some of your other ideas. And I know you're going to continue to do fabulous things. So all the best with that. Um, well, we've it. come to the end of a very interesting and engaging conversation with Werner Furi, and I would like to thank him for sharing his insights and experiences um, in out-of-the-box optometry and doing optometry differently in South Africa. I was challenged, and I know you'll probably be challenged as well. And I'd like to invite you to join us on the next episode of Conversations in Health Sciences. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you.